Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. I'm very excited to have today's guest on the show. Tim Payne is the captain of the Australian cricket team. I'm not sure even Tim Payne thought that he would be ever introduced as captain of the Australian cricket team. In fact, there was a time not so long ago that Tim Payne wasn't even keeping wickets and playing for Tasmania and he was set to retire from the game of cricket. He was going to take up a job at Kookaburra and move on with the rest of his life. But he was told by some very influential people, and we'll touch on that a little bit in this chat today, that maybe he shouldn't rush that decision. And before he knew it, he was picked in the Australian Test Squad. Wasn't even keeping wickets for his own state, was picked in the Australian Test Squad. Now, this wasn't the first time that Tim had represented Australia. He had been a gun junior cricketer, played very high-level cricket for Tasmania and then for Australia. And then during an exhibition match, a very fast bowler by the name of Dirk Nannis, and I know Dirk, he's a very nice guy, but a very fast bowler by the name of Dirk Nannis had broken his finger. Now, for a wicketkeeper, your finger is a pretty important part of your overall operation. And it took, speaking of operations, it took six or seven different operations over two years before Tim had his finger fixed. Obviously, that affected his cricket career in a pretty major way, not just in a physical sense, but in a mental sense. And it was a battle for him to fully recover. Fast forward and Tim finds himself being picked for the Australian Test Team and then he finds himself in South Africa not long later during the middle of one of the most historic test series of all times. The darkest day in Australian cricket, the sandpaper ball tampering incident. And Tim is keeping wickets during that game, does not really understand in the moment. We speak about that a little bit. I, I didn't want to go too much over what happened in South Africa because... Tim wasn't at the heart of it, and it's very hard when you're captain of a Australian cricket team to speak for others. But it was also the moment that he became the accidental captain of the Australian cricket team, the standing captain of the Australian cricket team. So I thought it was important to talk about that so that we could talk about what happened next. Because since then, Tim has established himself as the captain of the Australian cricket team. He has rebuilt the Australian cricket team's reputation both on and off the field. And I imagine agreeing to do interviews like philosophy is part of that ongoing process. But it was incredible to sit down and talk to him about so many different aspects of his journey and his life. And as usual, I didn't want to necessarily go back over things that have been talked about, you know, a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. But uh, all of that, of course, is part of the story. So we had to touch on some of it. If you are listening to this on a Sunday on Patreon, which you can do, you can get it a day early, ad-free, and all you have to do is sign up to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash philosophy. You can join there for as little as one US dollar per month. It's basically like a GoFundMe or a subscription, like your Netflix subscription. If you like this podcast, and it means that I can pay Podcast Mike properly, and it means that I can uh, pay James Fosdyke for the original artwork, and that's where the money for all that, plus a couple of ads that run in the show. But if you don't like the ads, if you don't want to hear the ads, if you're a skip through the ads person, well, we do that for you on the Patreon page. So patreon.com slash philosophy. This year, we've been on a bit of a mission to get to $5,000 per month because that would enable us financially to do two shows per week. And the aim is that there would be a brand new show early in the week and there'll be a catch-up episode later on in the week. Well, 
Look, we, we got over the line for about 30 seconds. There was like one day during this year that we got over 5,000. But of course, Patreon relies on regular subscribers. So we're back under the 5,000 and we have been for a while now. So basically one episode a week still. But here's what I will say. We're in a good possession, position, not possession. We're in a good position to set ourselves up for 2021. So if by Christmas we could get to $5,000 per month on the Patreon page. We can start 2021. We can say, fuck you, 2020. And we can start 2021 by be, being able to do a brand new episode early in the week and then a catch-up episode later in the week. So if you would like to hear that in your ears, patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to go. Uh, I also have a bunch of other shows, tofop.com. So there's tofop, there's fofop. They're both coming out weekly at the moment. And then uh, Two Guys, One Cup, our AFL-adjacent podcast. Uh, Charlie and I still need to do an end-of-season wrap of that, but I've just been pretty busy with my growing commitments at the moment. Of course, oh, that is still on. If you uh, want to watch my TV show, it's called Gruen. It's on the ABC. You can watch the first episodes, seven episodes of the series on ABC iView. They're all up there for free. At the moment, and we still have three episodes to go. This week is an absolute corker. We're going to talk about Christmas on the show this week, which means there are a bunch of really cool ads. And we're also going to look at the world of privacy and how much data uh, is being sucked up by all the devices that you're using. So it's going to be an absolute corker on Wednesday night if you want to tune in for Gruen. And then two more episodes after that up until Christmas. So uh, that's me. Thank you very much for supporting this show and I really hope uh, that you enjoy not only this interview with Tim Payne but a very successful summer of cricket for the Australians. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask the guest who they are. So who are you? Uh, Tim Payne, Australian Test Cricket Captain. Australian Test Cricket Captain Tim Payne. The first words of the Wikipedia page, the first <laughs> words perhaps of the tribute that gets paid to you you know, at the end of your life now. I had Julia Gillard on this show, Tim, and yep. she spoke about the idea that forevermore, the first line of a biography starts with former Australian you know, <laughs> Prime Minister, first Australian female Prime Minister, and now forevermore you're Australian cricket yeah. captain Tim Payne. Did you ever imagine, did you ever imagine that, that they were words that would precede your name? No, never, to be totally honest. Um, I think from... Yeah, ever since I was as young as I can remember that, my dream was certainly to play cricket for Australia. Um, but at no stage did that involve being the captain or at any stage did I want to be the captain, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe when I've finished, I'll, it's something that I'm, I'm obviously, you know, really humble um, and honoured to have the role. But when I look back, maybe it'll mean more to me then. But at the moment, I am see myself as very, very lucky to be doing it and um, and I'm really actually enjoying it now, which is nice as well. Well, that's a, a very encouraging thing to hear because I've thought about this a lot recently. In times of great crisis, there are those who are drawn to leadership because they believe they are the person who can help, you know. So at the moment with the global pandemic, you're seeing leaders all over the world reacting in very different ways. But some of them have clearly gone, this is the reason that I wanted to be a politician. 
position. This is the reason that I wanted to be a leader. When people needed me, I can be the person who can guide them through. And you certainly came to the Australian cricket job when cricket was in a time of crisis. Did you appreciate the opportunity to be the person who would lead us out of that crisis? Uh, no, I'd be lying if I said I did. Um, I, I still remember sitting in the change rooms when they said that I was going to be the captain and I, was, I actually just, I remember my heart sort of sinking a little bit thinking, Christ, like, can, can I do this? Um, how do I do this? Um, and, and do I want to do it? Um, and that's that. Yeah, that was my honestly, that was my gut feel and my instinct straight away. But um, I sort of told myself basically the way of getting into it was, well, someone someone has to do it. So why not just try your best um, and see how it goes? And that that was pretty much how it started, really. Um, yeah, I didn't have any sort of lead, lots of leadership or captaincy experience or you know philosophies on how to do it. Um, no sort of handbook, that's for sure. But um, yeah, I just tried to keep things pretty simple and um, so far it's working out okay. Okay, so this is a podcast we talk to people about their philosophies, their life philosophies and you mentioned there that you didn't have a leadership philosophy. Do you now no. have a leadership philosophy? Um, not really. No, I don't. Um, I have a few things that I, I try to stick to um, but I've always found, particularly captaining or, or leading, it, it's very much dependent on the group of people that I'm that I'm leading. So, um, you know, I have to captain Tasmania completely differently to the way I have to captain Australia because the personalities are different, the skill levels different, the pressures different, um, and the same again if I captain my club, university, or if I'm, um, you know, doing something else and I'm leading a group. I just find that. Um, everyone and every group is so different that I, I found it really hard when people say, oh, like, what's your leadership philosophy or what's your leadership style? Um, my style is to be quite fluid with it and try and adapt to the groups and the people that I'm with. Um, a few key things for me have always been to try and um, be be true to myself, to be Tim Payne and, and try and make decisions that, that I would normally not try and make captains as the Australian captain. Um, to try and build um, relationships and be closer to people um, so I can understand how they work um, and then to lead by example as a, as a sportsman in particular with my, my work ethic and the way I hold myself in public and um, if that's a philosophy then, then that's probably it but um, as I said I try and adapt and change and, and learn and um, yeah I find if you have a really set philosophy it almost sounds like you think you know everything and I'm going to make. I've made mistakes as the Australian captain. I'm going to make more going forward. Um, but it's about learning from them and, and continually getting better, I guess. Can you tell us about a mistake you've made? Can you tell us about something you can identify as saying, "I thought this was going to be the right approach, but it turns out it wasn't the right approach." Yeah, I've made certainly even ones like at the toss um, when I had other people saying bat. I've bowled. In the fifth test in England, that was one. Um, I made a few blunders, certainly in the third Ashes test with the fields I set um, to Ben Stokes um, in that, you know, what ended up being a legendary test match. So I have to rewatch it all the time, which really annoys me. <laughs> um, but now looking back, they, they were key moments in, you know, in how I'll go about it differently next time. And um, the Stokes one in particular, like even we had to rewatch that that whole last two hours the next day and 
And when I was withdrawn from the high pressure situation of it, of where I was in the middle, to sitting back and watching, it was it was plain as day to me what I had done wrong, and just goes to show how how your thinking and your judgment can be clouded when you're under that sort of intense pressure. Um, yeah, and there's been things, you know, off the field in um, certain times as well that I, I should have been better at and um, and didn't. But again, it's all learning. I think that's where my leadership style, if you like, has come from. Is um, is a bit of life experience and and I've had I've been a professional cricketer now for nearly 20 years so I've had lots of different leaders coaches captains and um, I've sort of just taken bits that I like from each of them um, and then made mistakes and as I said try to get better from those mistakes I'm super interested though in this idea that you say when you step back from it when you watched it from a distance those things were very apparent to you and of course for those who aren't cricket fans who are listening to this and hopefully there's some just some regular people who listen to the show who've tuned in and might not be across the game of cricket they might not understand that not only are you the captain of the Australian cricket team but you're also the wicketkeeper and in cricket that is the player who most traditionally is involved in probably as you know as much of the game as anybody else so when you talk about not being able to step back being slap bang in the middle of it what do you do going forward to be able to do that while you're in the middle of the game when you're still concentrating on the fact that you know pat cummins is you know bowling a ball down very quickly and you've got to see which edge it's going to come off and which direction you're going to have to dive to try to stop the ball how do you in the midst of all that, take an opportunity to step back and see the game from not in the heart of it? Um, I think for me, it's actually realising, again, it's like a lot of things, you've got a lot more time than you think, particularly in cricket. So I've got some time in between balls, particularly when a fastball is bowling, where I can actually just almost at times even shut my eyes, take a deep breath, remind myself of what we're trying to what we're trying to do, how we're trying to bowl to a certain batter, um, you know, what our... Um, processes on um, in a certain session or a certain day and at times you can get caught up in the speed and in the crowd and in the pressure and in in the result rather than what are we actually trying to execute here um, and and so for me as a captain as well at times the other thing that's that's come with experience for me is empathy so I, I now have to remind myself constantly that you know, Pat Cummins didn't just run in and try and bowl that ball so he got hit for four. He's running in trying his absolute best like I am, but in the heat of the battle, you can get angry and think, what what, what the is he doing? You know, why isn't he doing this? We spoke about doing this. And, you know, pressure does funny things and it's a very hard game cricket at the international level. So for me to be able to take a step back... Um, take in the moment a bit more and as I said have a bit more empathy for, for other people and what they're going through is allowed me to um, just focus as I said on, on what we're trying to achieve that session or that over or or that ball. So I'm interested in power dynamics and how they apply to leadership as well because when you go play back and play for your club team chances are I imagine you're probably the best player who's playing in that team and you know even when you're playing for Tasmania there will have been periods of your career where you know, you were the gun or you yeah. were amongst the handful of guns who were playing in that team. Yeah. And then you transition to the Australian cricket team where the previous captain has been, you know, maybe even the best cricketer in the world, yeah, let yeah. alone the best cricketer in the team. Yeah. And you don't fit, you know, in that same level of the power structure. Yeah. Does the power dynamic affect the way you lead? Um, not for me. I think, again, I, I've looked at that as a real strength. Um, I find... It actually makes me um, 
probably more relatable to our to our players at all levels of our of our players, whether that's Tasmania or Australia. Um, and at times, I also feel maybe the opposition probably maybe underestimate me, um, not as a player, but maybe as a leader and and my um, influence on our group and how how positive that can be sort of thing so I think normally what can happen is if we get on top of a, a Virat Kohli or um, you know their captain and their best player that is a huge drain on their team because one their best player is not performing and two he's then maybe worried about his own form and his own performances so then he's not the captain and the leader that he should be um, so for me I don't think they ever come in and say geez we want to take Tim Payne down he's such a key player for them they're worried about Warner. They're worried about Smith. They're worried about um, Marnus. They're worried about Cummins. Uh, and I can fly under the radar that way, which then actually allows me to be really level and really consistency, um, consistent with my leadership. I'm very interested you mentioned Virat Kohli. And I'm always fascinated because he's announced that he will play, I believe, in the first test of the series. But then yep. he's going to go home because he's having a baby. That's and, what I'm hearing. Uh, so when you hear news like that, I'm very interested. I mean, I know, like, I guess there's one perspective, which is, you know, we want to be the best. We want to play against the best. And you want to go out there and play against the other team at their full strength and try to beat them at their full strength. But is there another part of you that when you hear he's going home, he's secretly happy about it. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not even, it's not even secretly. I am wrapped. Um, that will, you know, I mean, they'll have no doubt they'll have other players. We know how talented they are and they'll step up. But at the end of the day, they're not him. Um, and he is literally one of the best players we've ever seen. So the headaches that he causes a team and the, the worry at night and the lack of sleep and in the lunch break when he's in, it's like, how are we going to get this bloke out? He is just extraordinarily good. So you take him out of their team, of course, it's going to make a difference like it did when we played them last time and, and we had no Smith and no Warner. It, it, it clearly makes a huge difference. Um, but that doesn't guarantee us success against them either. It's external observation and not something that you can probably say or acknowledge yourself. But it seems to me that, you know, your leadership of the Australian cricket team is, you know, come the moment, come the man. You know, that funnily enough, you were made exactly for these times. You're the leader that we need in these times. You, I can't see anyone else in that team that could have burdened the responsibility of having to go through the period we went through in Australian cricket and come out the other side and, you know, wear the blows and knocks and setbacks that would come inevitably with this. And yet you were about to retire from the game it's it's such an incredible story to me that you know the the greatest achievement in your cricket life which will be this period of time and now you'll be remembered not as the accidental captain of the Australian cricket team but you know a guy who had a substantial record you know captaining the Australian cricket team over a good period of time and you know has brought great pride and admiration back to the Australian cricket team that had been lost in such a huge way. It's incredible. It's an incredible moment in your life and there must be times, certainly from the outside, when I look at it and think, wow, this was what it was all about. You wouldn't have known it when you had a broken finger. You wouldn't have known it when you were a kid playing in the backyard. But there was a real reason for you to, you know, pick up a cricket bat and pick up the gloves and play this game. And it feels like we are in this moment. Yeah, no, certainly. And as I said, I sort of touched on my my life experiences before, but I I now look back at like the times where I was really struggling, whether it was form, whether it was injury. Um, I had a period of time when I couldn't even get a game for Tasmania. Um, It was only four years ago. 
um, and mentally I was absolutely nowhere as a cricketer. Um, and again, those life lessons really sort of humbled me. And then I think, you know, just by fate or however it's happened, it, you're right, it's sort of when I became the captain of Australia without realising it, I was probably ready for the role in a different way than other captains have been ready. I mean, your Ricky Ponnings and your Michael Clarks are sort of, they're just, they were born and destined the moment they started playing cricket for Australia, that was that was going to happen. Um, yeah, my journey has been completely different. Um, but again, maybe suited the time for, for what was needed and... Um, again, I think that another huge positive which people don't see is the fact that I, I live in Tasmania, which is so I am outside of the the media mainstream bubble and the higher pressure that, that sort of comes with that. I get to come home and people still treat me exactly the same. They couldn't care less if I'm the Australian Test captain. They they know me, they know my family from from being around sports in Tasmania for, for a long time and um, but again, to be able to come back, get out of the spotlight, be treated as exactly how I was before I was test captain, again, is really grounding and, and probably, again, one of the real strengths of, um, of being living in Tasmania is, is given me a different um, dynamic, I guess, or a different um, look at it. And that's not something that you've considered changing. You've obviously decided you like going back to Tasmania. You're not yeah. signing up for moving to Sydney and living in Bondi. Absolutely and, you know, not. partying at the Ivy with Buddy Franklin or something like that. No, that's <laughs> not up my alley anymore anyway. Um, no, look, I, I couldn't ever see myself living anywhere else. I, even now in Tobart, I'm start to get slightly frustrated with the traffic. <laughs> and I mean, I have to drive from my house to Bell Reeve once a day and it takes me about nine minutes if it takes me longer than 10 i'm furious i'm blowing up about traffic lights and so i love going to all the biggest cities around the world that i get to travel with cricket but only on holiday i, I couldn't see myself living I'm, I'm not a huge fan of big crowds and you know even if i want to go out for dinner or a bar or a pub i like it a bit smaller a bit more hobart like i don't like going to big crowds I get a bit anxious even before I was the captain I just it doesn't sit well with me so there are so many aspects as you touched on about being the captain one of them is your performance on the cricket field and I think that you know obviously what other people saw in you was the idea that you would be right at that level that they didn't necessarily need to see you know you'd be you know, even playing at that certain level, at the next level down, they just had a faith that when you stepped up to the big end of town that you would be fine again in the big end of town. And clearly you'd had experience there before. It wasn't, you know, your first time there. But where did that come from? And do you think about the idea that some people had faith in you? Unreasonable faith in some ways. Oh, a huge amount of faith. To The flack that they would have copped that if this didn't go well, when I even when I just came back into the team. Um, so it was sort of pretty much, it was Darren Lehman, Greg Chappell, Steve Smith and Brad Haddon, who was an assistant coach behind the scenes then. And, and what I think the story I'm sort of put together now is that they were looking, you know, they knew how good their attack was. They wanted, they thought to win the Ashes in Australia, they needed to take every single chance they created. And um, I think for a while the belief was that I was probably the best wicket keeper in Australia. I just hadn't scored the runs and sort of post Adam Gilchrist, we'd gone in that direction where it was like batting first, keeping second. Um, so I think Greg sort of pushed that back. Let's let's get the best wicket keeper in Australia. Oh, who, well, who do we think it is? Tim Payne. Jeez, we can't pick him. He's not getting a game for Tasmania. So 
um, they took a really extraordinary step of picking me in that Cricket Australia at 11 um, to play against England. Um, it was sold to me as a, you're a senior player around the States, even though you're not playing, can you go and look after some of the young guys, teach them some things from around you, from your experiences? Um, little did I know then they were actually just building me up to, to be ready. Um, so yeah, I, I owe those four in particular a hell of a lot for, for taking a punt on me. Um, yeah, and then I think probably, again, it was a perfect storm. I'd been through so much. The second chance I got a test cricket, I sort of released the pressure on myself and promised myself that I would just enjoy it. And um, probably 90% of the time I've, I've been able to do that, which is um, <laughs> which is really cool. It's I've been able to take it in as well and actually sort of stand out in the ground at times and go, this is just amazing. I cannot believe I'm here, let alone the captain. I just can't believe I'm playing in Nash's test and we're about to retain it or win them like we did in Australia or... Um, you know, win five test matches in a row last summer and be standing in the middle of the MCG. It's just, um, yeah, it's the stuff of dreams. And, and the first time I was doing it, I didn't treat it like that. I took it for, not didn't didn't take it for granted, but everything, I was in a rush. I always wanted more. I always wanted the next thing. And um, the second stint I've had at international cricket, I've, it feels like it's been going for about 20 years and it's been going for nearly three because um, I've just taken it all in and, and just tried to enjoy the moment and, um, long may it continue. So connection to performance in enjoyment is something that I'm super interested in because you do see those players who, at whatever sport they tend to play, and even in my industry, you know, comedians who just can get in a zone where they're having as much fun as the audience who are watching them are having. Yeah. Is there a sense of that? Can you have a sense of that on a cricket field where you're just genuinely enjoying it as everybody, as much as everybody else? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I mean, from my own experience, I find that I only really get that wicket keeping. Mm. I've never mastered batting. Right. I feel like there's been times in my cricket career though, where my wicket keeping, I'm, I feel like I'm watching myself. Um, and I'm sure that's what Steve Smith and Virat Kohli feel like with the bat. Um, yeah, I, I, like sometimes when I used to play shield games and Tassie would win the toss and bat, I would be like, oh no, I'm going to have to bat today. Christ, what am I going to do? I've got no idea. Whereas when we won the toss and we were bowling, I was like, oh, beauty. And even my talk around the group was like, you know, like I, I feel like sometimes when I'm wicket keeping in a... I'm not a, a, a sort of show-off person, but I feel like sometimes it's like a discreet way of showing off. Like I like to show people how good I can actually be as a wicketkeeper and I take balls and do stuff and I kind of smile to myself like, geez, that was a good take. And that's when I think I'm in the zone. It's a really relaxed but enjoying um, type of thing. And unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, I never quite got there with my batting. Um, so again, with my batting, I've just let go now. Justin Lang has been unbelievable for me for that, and um, I'm starting to enjoy it. I don't enjoy it in, in the fact that, geez, I'm mastering this like I do sometimes with wicket keeping, but um, I just try and have fun and try and um, contribute to the team when I bat. So talk to me about the relationship with Justin Langer because I was such a great admirer of him as a cricketer. I just, for whatever reason, you know, when you 
you know, feel predisposed to watching somebody play. He was always a favourite of mine. I just thought that, you know, he might not have been quite as skilled, although he was excellently skilled as the rest of them. But he was, you knew that he was going to make the most of the opportunity that he has been given. And I think as an Australian coach, at least the perception from the outside is that he wants the same of everybody else. What is that relationship like between you and him? Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I met JL a long time ago, so... um which people I, I don't think know. I think some people thought we were sort of captain and coach put together and then we've we've gone. But when I was first in the Australian setup, when I was sort of 23 to 26, Justin was the um, assistant coach. Uh, and I was on tours all the time as the backup wicketkeeper. So um, when you're a backup keeper on a cricket tour, you basically need to get out of the way when the other boys train. So um, <laughs> JL and I would go to the gym in the morning um, together with um, our fitness guy, get it done, go and have some breakfast. And then we'd go down to the ground much earlier than the others. That's where I'd get my batting and keeping done with him. So, um, you know, I did that for a whole World Cup and a couple of one-day series. And um, we just sort of hit it off. And I, like you as well, I, I um, love the way he used to play. I'd heard stories about how hard he trained, um, how he was a bit scary at times. Um, and then when I met him, you can tell he's got that hard, really hard, hard-working, hard man. Can be scary, spraying him as well. But the other side of him is this really caring, soft, uh, gentle person. And, um, yeah, so I, I sort of knew that side of him before some of the other guys. So um, I don't find him as scary as some people do. And he likes to play that up, JL, too, sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I just find him now like a really good mix of... And again, he's got to know the players now. So he can be really hard, firm and direct with us and with me in particular. But I know through the other side of him that I know that it's always coming from a really good place and he wants nothing but the best for all of us. Um, um, I think that's his strength. He's, he still can be very, very hard and direct. Um, but he's got that sort of fatherly figure as well. So it's a really nice mix. What's the, what's the best way that you receive feedback? Because professional sports people I'm always yeah. incredibly fascinated by because, you know, artists, you know, the people that I grew up with, you know, yeah. very very sensitive yeah. to feedback, it's fair to say, yeah. Tim. But professional sports people have to get it all the time. How are you at receiving feedback and what way do you like to get it? I like it just direct. I mean, no, you like no one likes to be abused, do they? But I just like to be told. I want to know what what you want from me, and 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 I'll try and do it. Um, yeah, I'm the same now with with captaining. I find that the younger the players, the the harder it is, um, or the nicer you have to be. So there's a real balancing act between keeping them happy and in, and and on side, but also giving them the the direct feedback that you need. But um, again, because I had the um, relationship with JL earlier, um, it certainly makes it easier for us to have those um, those tough conversations when we need to. And then um, I think people who, um, you know, you read stuff in the paper and um, commentators and all that sort of stuff, uh, again, the, that stuff I used to hate. And then the second time I came back in the National, I could not care less. I think I've got to that point where I realise, and I've done a bit of commentary myself, last year um, so I sort of saw the other side of the fence and realised that it's not personal they, they are doing their job in commentating on me as a captain or me as a cricketer they're not they're not having a crack at me as a person or um, you know it's never a personal thing it is purely on the job you're doing as a wicketkeeper as a captain 
Um, yeah, so I remember when people would say, oh, Tim Payne's no good, he's this. I'd be like, ah, oh, that's it. I'm never talking to that journalist again, whereas now <laughs> it actually doesn't bother me. Um, and funnily enough, since I've been like that, I've probably been nicer to them, so now they tend not to. So it's kind of it's gone full circle. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I like it direct because um, I don't want to mess around. I don't want to be wasting time either. Um, yeah, and I don't take anything personally, so it makes it easier. So you talk about external noise and it's hard to – I'm sure there will be a time that people can speak to you and not speak about what happened in South Africa. And yeah. I hope that that is, you know, soon and it will be yeah. a big relief for you. But yeah. unfortunately today is not going to be that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I, I was one of those people who really felt it. Yeah. I felt it disproportionately to – I don't know why. I, I was raised on cricket. Yeah. I, I love the game of cricket. Never had any talent for it myself, but something that my father and I both share a love for and it's something that we can talk about and that yeah. you know we can enjoy together. And it had a very ethical background or yeah. at least reputation yeah, in our yeah. family you know yeah. my dad was very much you know i remember being little and he's sitting me down and making me read don bradman's book and telling me that don bradman didn't need to hit him in the air yeah. and yeah, hit him yeah. along here and yeah very traditionally sort of you know cricket morals yeah. right uh, old school yeah. and so when what happened in south africa happened with the ball tampering i was one of those people who felt really 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 deeply hurt by what had happened yeah but you know and i can't really explain to you why yeah yeah but but i was one of those people and yeah. it felt like a massive betrayal yeah when you're in the middle of it in yeah. the eye of that storm because now that i've had time to look at it from like you said step back yeah and have an opportunity to i was like geez you know the crowds had been pretty tough over there ball tampering is a fine line at the best of time yeah, in yeah. cricket around the world. Like yeah. similar things have happened and they've resulted in, you know, one or two match suspensions, yeah. if that. You know, that's the context of the world. Yeah. So when it happens, were you aware at all that it was going to be as big a deal as it obviously ended up being? Not at all. That was the probably the shocking part for me. I, I still remember when it sort of came up on the screen and Smithy was just like, beside himself effectively um and i was like it's all right mate it happens all the time just relax make sure we get the rest of this day you know let's concentrate on that like i needed him we needed him to be you know making the right decisions that day and um he to his credit sort of picked up straight away he was like no nah, this is gonna be huge and i was like mate everyone gets done people have been done hundreds of times blah 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 anyway so i sort of went home naively that night thinking oh it'll be it'll be reasonably big mm. But boy, when I woke up the next morning and obviously it had gone back to Australia, my, like my phone, my Twitter, my, just everything news was just, oh, I remember just feeling physically sick for like, and it lasted for days. Um, yeah, that was, oh, that was a bloody hard time. I'd hate to think, you know, what they were going through, those three guys in particular who were copying the absolute brunt of it, but um yeah, it was just a anyone who was there will tell you that was one of the lowest points of you know not only our cricket careers but probably of our, of our lives and um, yeah the sheer shock of how big that was and how badly Australians took it um, yeah put in perspective how how important the Australian Test team is to people um, how important our 
cricket in our country is and um, and how important the way we play is as well. I think we got to the stage where we thought if we were winning, they would love us and that would be it. Um, and probably the biggest takeaway from that was that, that it's there's more to it than that. Yes, they want us to win, but um, you know we're a direct um, representation of our country and, um, and people expect us to behave and, and play in that manner. So... Um, that was probably the biggest takeaway and something that I know JL and myself and everyone else has been involved in the last two years is really proud of the way we've sort of got back to um, that sort of essence of, of playing cricket for our country and um, and trying to re- represent Australia the best way we possibly can. Yeah, and in it there was a message, right? Yeah. Absolutely what you've said, which is we care about this more than just about the result of the yeah. games. Yeah. There is something more to why the captain of the Australian cricket team, you know, they often say is, you know, the sec, you know, the, you got the prime minister of the captain of the Australian cricket team, the two big yeah. positions in Australian culture. And yeah. that's just not because cricket is the most popular game necessarily yeah. or in the world, you know, it's because we we choose. We yeah, we take yeah. a lot of pride out of, you know, this team and their achievements but also the way yeah. they play the game. So, when you're going through a period of time like that where suddenly, you know, you were reliving your boyhood dream. You're back in the Australian yeah, Test yeah. team. Like, you know, wow, I was yeah. going to retire. I was yeah, going to yeah. go and work at Kookaburra. Here I am playing cricket for Australia again. And yeah. now I've gone from being in something that is like incredibly desirable to being something yeah. that is being yeah. shunned in popular culture, in yeah. news magazines. Like, you know, talk about journalists writing bad things about you. you know, yeah. Everyone in that team copped it to a certain extent. Absolutely, yeah. And now... And now you're in charge. Yeah. So, like, when you have to start rebuilding something like that, you know, what is it that you and Justin Langer start with? Um, I think just some clear direction. And, and we spoke about stuff like that. So we spoke about the fact that um, I think internally, and, and international cricket is such a little bubble that I think we started to think that we were the, the be-all and end-all and, and we only thought of ourselves. And that wasn't in a in a bad way I just think you get caught up in next series next game We ha- everything is about winning and if we don't win we get absolutely nailed and I think that sort of mentality meant it, it became a bit of us against everyone else um, and we probably forgot the fact that again it, it's not our team it's, it's Australia's team and you hear us talk about that a lot now I think we started to think that it was us and this is our team not Australia's team and it's about me it's not about you or them or our fans it was about me and what can I do to, to get the best for myself um, yeah so we just turned it around into you know we want to be a cricket team that one puts the team first two makes Australians proud um, and, and JL talks about it all the time. We want to be making great cricketers, absolutely, and we want to be winning. But what's just as important is that we keep producing great Australians and great people. And um, and he's really strong on that as well. So it's not like something that we do for a few weeks. Um, we constantly check in with, you know, how are we going in that space? Are we Is our behaviour at a level that we expect? Um, are we looking after each other? Are we playing for the team? Whereas I think maybe in the past we had some words around our team, but we didn't really revisit it and and check along like we would with our game plan, how are we batting, how are we bowling, how are we fielding, how are we going with our behaviour, how are we going with um, our culture, um, how are we going with how people are perceiving us as a group. Um, and we get that feedback now. Um, 
you know, every start of every tour, we go through it, um, talk about it, see where we can improve, say what we're doing well. Um, but I think just the revisiting of it, keeping it fresh in our minds, um, stopping some little things that might be creeping in, but also um, using it in a way to say, geez, Will, you're doing that great. That's been awesome because people love that feedback as well. It's not always about, it's not having things that we want to pull people up for. It's about rewarding, you know, the right type of behaviour as well. Who do you talk to personally during a time like that? I mean, obviously you talk to Justin in a professional sense, in a team sense, but who, when you're going through a dark period like that, becomes your sounding board? Um, I've probably got a few. I've got Tim Coyle down here in Tasmania who was my coach my, my sort of professional cricket career married his professional coaching career. So Corley was Tassie under-15 coach when I was playing under-15s and he became the manager of our whole state junior program when I went through the 17s and 19s. Um, then he did some second eleven coaching when I was playing second eleven, and then literally probably the second or third year I was on state contract, he became Tasmania's senior coach and we ended up having, you know, eight or ten-year period of real success down here in Tassie. So he's known me since I was... You know, 12 years old. Um, he knows how I work, how I operate. He can pick up straight away if I'm moody or I'm too high or, you know, pretty happy with myself or whatever it might be. So he's someone who's, again, I've got a great relationship with, so he can hit me straight between the eyes really quickly. Um, yeah, and I think, again, just the, the closeness of our relationships allows him to, one, pick it up quickly, whether it's good or bad, and two, um, ring me and let me have it but he's he's certainly one um i speak to stephen day major general stephen day a little bit about leadership and um and trying to gel groups together or you know he and he's just great to talk to about anything really um uh, so he's another one that i use and then purely on cricket captaincy i'll speak to ricky all the time if i need to know you know what do you think about this field or whatever and, and obviously i speak to him generally about other stuff but he's certainly my go-to in terms of cricket captaincy um Stephen Day is someone I use for for leadership and um experience I suppose and Coyley's the one who knows me really really well so he can pick up um things pretty quickly with me do you have um mental health practices that you use in a like in a training sense in a regular sense um not really um I had a period where I did. Um, when when I were touching on it earlier, when I was sort of not getting game for Tasmania, I was I had no idea. Like I, I just lost it. I lost my way as a cricketer. I was still really I was fine as a person. It's just like I didn't want to go to cricket training. I didn't want to play. But if it wasn't cricket, it wasn't like I was depressed or anything like that. It was like a performance anxiety or the fact that I thought geez my career is coming to an end like I would do anything I could to get out of having to play or train um, and as soon as that was happening and it's like I oh, know he doesn't have to play I was ha- I was fine um, so it wasn't like I was it, yeah it was just, it's similar to a sort of mental health issue or a performance issue but um, yeah the best thing I did was we actually had a, a female in Taz, Taz Cricket called Emma Harris who she won't mind me saying had no idea about cricket and I think it was actually an absolute blessing in disguise because at that stage I wasn't going to go to my coach or my chairman of selectors and say, geez, I'm struggling, I don't know. Like I was getting out in the middle and just freezing. I had I couldn't move my feet. I'd say I'd be thinking, don't play this shot, and all I'd do was play that shot. It was it was like I had no control of my mind or my body when, when a game started. Um, and I'd never told anyone that. 
I was just like, oh, I'll be all right. I just need a bit of luck. Or, you know, I'll keep training hard and it'll come. Um, and then I was just sitting downstairs having a coffee one day and she happened to come through the room and no one else was there. And I just told her. I don't even know how it sort of got to that stage. And I, and I still remember this day walking out of that room and, and instantly feeling better because I'd actually admitted that there was something wrong. And, and as I've sort of... I think is now you can't admit if you can't admit you got something wrong you, you're not going to be able to fix it or map out a plan to fix it so that was the biggest thing for me was talking to someone telling her exactly how I felt um, maybe because she had no idea about cricket I felt like it was a safe place um, and then I just worked with her for two three years she checked in still talked to her occasionally now she's in a different job but um, yeah, she really helped me put things in place, as I would as a, as a cricketer for my batting or my or my wicket keeping, um, and we just followed it and, and slowly built it back up. And um, yeah, thankfully it, it came good. You touched on the relationship between work and life. So you said you were going through this period of professional anxiety, but yeah. it wasn't leaking into your life. Are you someone who has a clear demarcation between those two things or the way you play cricket, does it affect the way you are at home? Uh, it, well, it does at times um, and it depend on the series. And like if I'm playing shield cricket, I'm probably slightly more relaxed at home than I am if I'm in the middle of an Ashes series. Um, mm. At times, I think it's like everyone, at times it gets you down and or it doesn't get you down, but it gets on top of you. And I'll, I'll have times where I come home and my wife Bonnie's, she knows now though, like not, knows like oh geez you you're allowed to be a prick or anything but she'll know that i'm just probably going to sit on the couch and be pretty quiet and, mm-hmm. and if she asks you questions she might get a grunt and a um, <laughs> but early on that quite affected her and she was like you, you know it's rude or it's you know whatever you know like i was ignoring her um she now knows that that's that's not the case it's just that i'm, I'm probably deep in thought or i'm distracted by something else so um the the, the one thing that gave me no choice but to separate them both, it was having kids. Mm. Um, so I come home and if my two-year-old's done a poo in his nappy, I have to change it. Or if he's crying, I need to help him. And the same with my daughter. If she wants to read a book or they're the, they've been the greatest um, sort of blessing in a number of ways for me, really. Um, I can now separate the game, whereas before I really struggled to do so. Um, Whereas I feel like Bonnie, my wife, I should be right. I just need to do this tonight. Whereas the kids, I you just can't. I have to come home. I have to be their dad. I have to feed them, dress them. Um, and then I sort of get into a bit of a role and I, and I haven't thought about cricket for 20 minutes and, and it's good. So um, that's probably been another key factor in, in the turnaround of how I sort of view cricket. I'm still fiercely competitive and want to succeed and win all the time, but I, it's it's become much more of a game for me and so that's I think probably the hardest thing for people to get their heads around is this idea that because it is just a game I mean a sport is just a game but it's a game that we have decided is super important and there are big businesses built around that game and you know for a lot of people there are it isn't just a game yeah but it is just a game so how do you balance those two things so that you can take it seriously enough but not too seriously because that's what it keeps sounding like you're saying to me is that you have found a balance between I am taking this exactly as seriously as it needs to be taken but no more seriously yeah yeah honestly I've only got there through experience again Mm. and and my life circumstances changing so like I, I now try and help particularly but here in Tasmania I try and help guys that are younger than me and going through what I was probably going through 10 years ago, see that it is just a game and 
there is huge financial reward for people, but not to get caught up in that and to realise how you work best and then be able to stick to that. So, um, again, I think people change when, you know, contracts are on the line and team your spots on the line and and you start to be very insular and and focus on what you need to do Um, my experiences have always been if i'm thinking more about the team and and how i can help other people around me be better then that then makes me a better player and a better person as well and makes me more valuable to my team so um it's such a difficult balance because you're right it is a game but for us it's our career um and it is such a it is such a brilliant life to live. So you don't want to lose it. So when guys are going through a thing, it's like, geez, I, mate, I don't mind getting up at nine o'clock on a Monday morning and going and hitting a couple of hundred balls, and then going and having coffee and lunch with my mates. That's a pretty bloody good life, and to earn good money doing it. So there's that draw as yeah. well, and you just get so desperate to stay in it that you know guys put too much pressure on themselves. They try too hard. They train too hard. They're tired. Um, mentally and physically um, so yeah everyone's different but it's about trying to find what is your balance it's not what my balance isn't going to work with someone else like we've got guys um, who who like doing heaps of extra stuff outside of cricket and studying or working part-time whereas I, I spoke to Marnus Labuschagne even two months ago and he's like you know everyone's always saying to me you need something else outside of the game and he's like no I can't for me to be successful I need to lock in 100% all of my time to cricket and I'll worry about the rest later that's kind of how his mind works and that's great he, he understands that and now he, he's obviously blossoming but he I think had a period where he was trying to like work or trying to impress cricket Queensland wanted him to do more outside of cricket and he's like that's that's just not how I work but we got other guys who want to go fishing twice a week or play golf all the time and get their mind off it um, it's about finding what that is and um, and sticking to it so what was that for you? You know, obviously now it seems to be family that's filling that role, but what was that before family? Um, yeah, so the other time I was actually a really good cricketer was when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and I was either I was on contract and at school or I was on contract and Coily again made me, through a person he knew at the Commonwealth Bank, made me get a job. So I was a teller at the Commonwealth Bank Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 till 12. And just that little bit of um, sort of real life and having to go to work, one just kept me a bit more rounded and gave me some skills for, mm. for after cricket. But it also made me appreciate my time at cricket a lot more. And when I was there, I really made it count because I knew I had to get back to work or I had to go to school. So it made my training higher quality, made my stuff shorter and sharper. And I loved being there because I'd come from work which I hated. So when I got to cricket, it's like, oh. So it made me appreciate it. Um, then the money started to become better and I started to play games for Australia. I was like, oh, I don't need that anymore. Mm. I'm good. And then it slowly just snowballed. Um, and again, everything became cricket and cricket related. And, and I started to think that people only want to talk to me because I am the cricketer. If I'm shit at cricket, are they still going to want to you start to have all those kind of thoughts and then, um, yeah, just it just snowballed from there and, you know, three, four years later, I couldn't get a game for Tasmania and then what's happened's happened and um, I have kids and I've got married and I've got other stuff going on and um, I'm playing the most high-pressured cricket that I've ever played right now and I've never had more fun. 
so it's it's quite amazing just the life experiences that have put me in the situation and position that I'm in now and I can I can enjoy it whereas 10 years ago there's I would have been eating sleeping breathing cricket balls if I was in this position clearly this is a hypothetical question and I'm glad it's a hypothetical question but if that call hadn't come yeah do you think you would have walked away from your cricket career with a bunch of regrets uh, uh, some. I mean, no, no, I wouldn't have actually, because I, I had given it. You couldn't say it up to that point. That I hadn't given it anything. I, I would have had a bit of a chip on my. Sh- I would have walked away with a chip on my shoulder, not regrets. Mm-hmm. I think I, I still, whether I was, the only thing I did wrong in the early part of my career career was try too hard, and that's that's not a bad thing. Um, I had a chip on my shoulder because of the finger injury at that point because when that happened, I was flying. I was playing for Australia. I was confident. My skill was getting better all the time. Um, And then that happened. And that was kind of the start of it, of the the negative stuff and the fact I I didn't play for two years and I kind of just lost my way mentally. I I remember playing games actually physically scared because I thought if I get hit again here on the same spot... I'm gone. So I had that in my mind. Um, so I would have had a chip on my shoulder about playing in that game um, for what was it? it was like an exhibition game that would have grinded me if I didn't play for Australia again because of that. Would you? Um, I, and I have no agenda with this question. Um, would you have had personal animosity? It was Dirk Nannis, right, who yeah. bowled the ball that yeah. broke your finger. Yeah. Would you have, like, cursed his name? No, no, not at all. I never, you know, even when people ask about it now and they bring it up and I'm like, mm. oh, yeah, it was Dirk. You know, it's yeah. not even something that, that I think about um, who it was. It was just the fact that it was... They weren't going to find a base, basement at your house full of Dirk. No, Nannis, no, not at all. Like, Dirk's know? a lovely man and... Um, <laughs> You know, one of the, he was one of those interesting fast bowlers that I actually kind of didn't mind facing because I, I knew he was such a nice bloke that he didn't want to hurt you. Whereas there's others where it's like, I think this bloke's actually trying to kill me. Whereas Dirk had sort of hit you and ask if you were okay, which was, it didn't make it any better, but it kind of made it not a nicer way of getting yeah. hit. Um, but yeah, I would have been upset about the fact that I played in an exhibition game and I, had, I was mic'd up at the time. Like there was lots of little mm. things that I'd never done before and I did it because... We were trying to, I suppose, bring fans closer to the game and stuff like that. And was I concentrating on that or was I watching the ball? Yeah, there was just little things like that. Well, it's lucky it's a hypothetical question yeah, anyway. Yeah, don't, don't, don't have to know what the yeah, answer to that no. one is, so that's good. But again, that, that time off and the hard work yeah. and the, you know, I ended up having seven operations on my finger. So the resilience that I was able to build through that time, again, at the time, I absolutely hated. Mm. And now it's like, oh, that's why it happened. So again, it's it's become a real positive, and um, again, something that I can now help with my younger teammates in Tassie who are going through. You know, we've got bowlers that have got stress fractures and um, batters now that have got broken fingers, and you know, my experiences um, through that period of my life and how I rehabbed it, or um, how long it took, or whether you have surgery. I think I've now got 
you know, some, some real experiences to, to share with those guys and help them through similar things. Family's been a big theme of this chat and both, you know, the family that you've come from, but also the family of your own that you've created. Do you have a, like a family philosophy? Do you have a parenting philosophy? Do you have, you know, something <laughs> that you really want to instill in your kids? Oh, not really. I just want my kids to be happy. Like, um, we're probably now because of what's happened again in a more fortunate situation than we than we would have been. So I just want them to be, you know, nice kids that are well mannered. Like I, I don't, yeah, I just want them to be happy. To be honest, mate. Like I'm not, um, I've got huge plans for them. I, I do get very excited now. My two year old gets the footy out and has a kick, and <laughs> he's starting to play a bit of cricket, and I love that. But um, yeah, as long as they're happy, I mean, my what I want to do is provide a, a really good life for them. And um, again, since what's happened, I, we're probably in a position now where I can. So that's um, a really nice peace of mind that um, the kids will be pretty well looked after, but I don't want them to grow up and be, um, what's the word? Um, I don't want them to take anything for granted, that's for sure. But yeah, but I want them to be happy and, um, and live a good life. So. That's kind of what's driving me now to, to stay fit and keep working and um, and keep trying to improve even at sort of 35, 36. So how do you improve at 35 or 36? Because as a cricketer, you know, you can still play for, you know, a few more years, but ha- yeah, the idea of improving still at that age yeah. is interesting to me. So how do you improve? Well, I think you're always got to be looking to improve because in professional sports these days, there's so much footage, there's so much, there's so many ways for people to look at what you do and then be able to counter it. So for me, it's, um, you know, I've made some changes this year to the way I bat um, from a technical point of view that I think will make me so, so a better player on the front foot, say, because I'm, I'm more a back foot player. I like to play the pull shot and I like to play the cut shot. But once teams know that, they just pitch it up. So I can't score as freely as I would like. So I'm trying to get better on the front foot so I can then, if they pitch the ball up early this Indian series and I smack one back down the ground, I'll go, Jesus. Didn't know he did that. Um, so again, it's always having a something to counter their plan with. Um, yeah, and I just like improving. Like, I, don't we all? I, I like trying to figure out how can I do something better. Um, even with wicket keeping, I've got some really three really basic things that I do every single time I wicket keep. But around those basics, I can do different drills and. Um, different movements and all sorts of things that can make me a better player than I was yesterday. So um, the moment I've always said to my wife and to the coaches here in Tasmania, the moment I'm not looking to improve is the moment I, I won't play. I always you always hear about Ricky Ponting. I think you know it was who would say watch the ball yeah. three times. That was his yeah, little yeah, mantra yeah. as the bowler was coming in. I think once at the top of the run, once in the middle, yeah. and once as the ball was about to be bowled, he'd just yeah. say to himself, "Watch the ball." Yeah. Do you have something like that as a wicket keeper that has to get you back into yeah. like when is the moment that you start absolutely concentrating on that ball that's coming down? Um, basically, when they turn around. So I have my thinking time in between, and what I'm and still not perfect occasionally it happens I like to be sort of thinking about my fields and where we're going to do something and the moment he turns around is the moment I, I forget the captaincy and go into um, into wicket keeper mode and, and my three cues for wicket keeping and my, and my body height um, having my hands out in front um, and the last one is head to the ball which again for Ricky is like watch the ball mine is like head so for me from a wicket keeper I'm trying to get my head to the line of the ball so if it's leg side I'm trying to and what I found is if I think about my head and not my feet, my feet move 
the perfect amount. Whereas when I always th- used to think about my footwork, it just didn't work for me. So everyone's slightly different, but for me, yeah, it's it's body height, hands out in front, head to the ball, and they are my. Th- I say those things, three things, every single ball when I squat down. What's your nightmare as a wicketkeeper? Like, what is there a oh. is, is there a specific ball or a specific? Nah, I, I get these that... moments in the middle, particularly when I'm facing when I'm keeping to Starkey, um, because he bowls very fast. But and you see it a lot more in England, but we get it a bit more in Australia. But Starkey's very good, at it. and that's when the ball wobbles, or yeah. we call it wobble. It's probably more swing, dip. It can rise. I don't know how it happens, <laughs> but like I can get a ball and might get to a meter away from me, and it just starts to veer up, or it starts to veer down, or left or right. And I've caught a few balls off Starkey a few times, and I'm just like, again, it, it amazes you that a ball can be coming at 150 plus k's, and then when it gets about a meter away from you, it just veers up and right. And you catch it. And I think, honestly, catch balls sometimes. And I think, how did I catch that? I have no idea how I caught that. But then I have this image of that hitting me flush in the face. That is my nightmare. Because I'm like, that's, even though I'm standing back, that ball's traveling at 155 kilometers if it's starky sometimes. And they do, I've seen some swing that way and I've, and I'm clean miss them because it just go. And I think, had that have swung the other way and I've clean missed it. That's hit me right in the teeth, and so I kind of cringe a bit. I have the, I just have these moments, and I try and just <laughs> think of something else and concentrate on the next ball. Um, but that, that's my wicket keeping fear. I, I, I hate that feeling, and as I said, I get real cringe sort of feeling when I think about it. Do you have the opposite to that? Do you have a moment that you can identify as? Is there that one perfect moment of keeping wickets that you remember? Uh, yeah, again, that, that's when you're in that little zone. Like I feel like at times with um, with Nathan Lyon in particular, when I get into rhythm with him, and and again, it doesn't just happen because it happens. I, like I, we go into a test match or the training before test match, we'll go maybe sometimes an hour before other people, and he might bowl me twenty or thirty balls, and I just get used to his action. I get used to the rhythm. I get used to the, the, when he's really trying to bowl a big off spinner, how that looks through the air, or if he's trying to push one through a bit quicker and not spin, or trying to bowl a top spinner that bounces a bit more. And at times in test matches, when I think people look and go, geez, that looks hard because it's spinning miles. And that for me is like the sweet spot because I, I just get into this little thing where it's like just before the ball bounces, I feel like sometimes I know where, what it's that's going to spin a lot, or that's not. I can almost see it before it, it pitches. I can't put my finger on, apart from again spending a lot of time with him and getting into rhythm with him. But there is no better feeling than that that moment. It just seems to everything just seems to just happen, and I feel like, as I said, I can see it just before it happens. Uh, are you good at concentrating in real life? Because, like, I mean, obviously, wicket keeping to me, it's incredible concentration. Do you have that same power of concentration in doing other things in your life? No. Only if I, I, I'm very good at most things that I'm passionate about. If not, I'm like, I, my wife hates it because I can't even listen to one song. Like, I don't get to the end of the song <laughs> without going on to the next one. Whereas she likes to sit and just like, listen to an album or, you know, I'm like, who does that anymore? I'm just like, right, yeah, good song. I've heard the chorus a few times. Next. That's kind of how I am with everything else, bar cricket or, or you know, most sports things or if I'm interested in something outside, then I'm, I get right into it. But otherwise, I'm pretty, uh, 
yeah, concentration isn't my strength. So what is the thing that you are right into outside cricket at the moment? Well, at the moment, um, myself, George Bailey um, and Nick Rewald are actually starting up some gyms down here in Tasmania. So that's taking up a bit of my spare time. It's called Body Fit Training, which is it's on the mainland quite a bit, but we've, we've just taken sort of, um, well, Tasmania, basically. So um, we're looking for sites at the moment, looking for staff. Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's something different. Um, and again, at the moment, it's giving me time to come home and not worry about cricket because I, I actually have to do something. Um, I might need something done by Friday or by Thursday. So I actually, I need to force myself away and that's been another good thing for it. And so are you good in the gym? Are you a person who you know, went to that physical side of things yeah. reasonably easily? Yeah, I always enjoyed it. Um, I actually find sometimes, which is probably a good thing, that cricket actually gets in the way of it. I, I wonder, I, <laughs> I kind of am one stage looking to forward to when I finish because I wonder how fit can I get? Whereas at the moment, I'm like, no, you can't go and do that today because you've got a weird keep for your test match tomorrow. So just chill. <laughs> I find like it, I want to do more, but I, I like to feel fresh, obviously, when I walk on the field to play. So it's very impossible to predict the future as you've proven in your life, but yeah. also as the world has proven to us very much in the last you know, 12 months or so. But where is Tim Payne in 10 years from now? Yeah, again, it's a really good question. I think... Again, what I've found has changed a lot is is since I've become the test captain, a lot of different doors have opened and, and there is a lot more, um, there's certainly a lot more opportunities post-cricket than I would have had, um, you know, three years ago, which is great in one respect. Um, but again, my, my passion has always been cricket. Um, I think I'll take a couple of years probably off and... and you know, I've, as I said, I've got the gyms, I've got a few other things that I'll probably go and concentrate my time into just to get away from cricket or to get away from the the teams that I've actually played in because I've got friendships and whatever. And then I think when the time's right, I'll, I'll look to come back in, um, whether that's coaching, whether that's in, in high performance, um, I'm not too sure. But certainly cricket and sport is, is my passion, my number one passion. And um, I think I'm always going to want to crave being in that team environment. So... Um, yeah I think something along those lines uh, maybe some commentary which I've already started to do again which is a good way for someone I think who, who wants to step away from the playing group a bit but be able to keep watching cricket keep um, you know a close check on the trends of 2020 and what types of players are going you know like for me that'll be a good way to keep in contact with the game and, and, and where it's headed and then be able to step into one of those roles hopefully down the track but um Apart from that, I'll just be probably Bonnie, my wife, will be at work and I might have a few years at home looking after the kids. <laughs> well, that sounds all right. <laughs> hey, it does. Sounds so, great. Well, um, we'll finish up soon, but I've got some standard questions I always ask on this show, so yep. I'm going to get to those if you don't mind. No problem. Um, so we'll jump in the deep end. What do you think ha happens when we die? I like to think we go to another place somewhere. Um, yeah, I like the idea of sort of catching up with people again somewhere else for me. Who is it that you most look forward to catching up to in that other place? Um, quite fortunate at the moment. Um, well, you don't need to kill someone off. No. I was, <laughs> you I don't need not. to kill someone off for um, the sake of this. No, I've actually been really fortunate. Um, I'd, I'd probably say at the moment, it was two years ago, my wife's dad passed away and that was quite unexpected. So, um, 
yeah, I, I would. I, I don't look. F- yeah, I, obviously, I look forward to seeing him, but we've obviously had two little kids since then, which he hasn't got to yeah. see. So I, I would like to hope that in the next life, he he gets to meet them and spend a lot more time with them. Um, did you ever have any specific religion in your life? Were you raised with a religion? Yeah, or anything no, like? no, not at all. Um, not sure why. Um, <laughs> I think probably just because my parents did and it wasn't passed on by their parents. So it yeah. um, <clears throat> tends to be sort of how it works. Probably the only religion I've had is, is sport, to be fair. It's been um, – and I've got a very sporting family, both my mum and dad's side. So, But, yeah, no, I haven't. Well, I'm always fascinated by people's sporting – idols because yeah. just because you're a sports person as you said you're yeah. also a fan of sports yeah. what what athletes do you or did you or do you admire um yeah well my first one which is people find quite funny um but my first sporting idol was actually Warwick Kappa. Right. Because <laughs> um, you were also an Indian. No, that was Mark Jacko. Yeah. yeah what did you do? What was Warwick Kappa? Sydney Swans? Warwick Sydney Kappa? Sw- Brisbane or? Bears. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know why. I think when I was young, I had a bit of a little blonde mullet, so maybe that. And obviously, then he like he used to take hangers, and that's what I, I used to love watching that. And um, I mean, I haven't turned out that way, but I kind of used to love his carry on. It used to draw me in. It was a performance. It was theatre. Um, so I used to absolutely love Warwick Kappa. Um, and then it went to from from a cricket. Um, point of view, it's always been either Booney or Ricky, um, and they were my two two guys. That if obviously the obvious connection is, is Tasmania, and um, maybe I could sort of see the fact because, as I said, my dream was always to do that. So I could see that you know, you know, two boys from Launceston could do it. Then there was a pathway for me to sort of follow. So, um, but yeah, if Ricky or, or Booney were batting in a Test match when I was a kid, I was absolutely glued to it for for every ball it's a great example of how representation matters if you can see it you can be it yeah absolutely idea that well not just you but the fact that matthew wade and yourself were essentially you know in the same neighborhood absolutely yeah both imagine that you know the two of you now playing for australia in the test team together would have sprung out of the idea that you saw booney or ricky Ponting playing those games and we, yeah, I remember playing at Ash's test with Wade in England and, we, and I remember saying to him at one stage, like, we were batting together, I said, who would have, honestly, who would have thought this then when we were playing in my backyard or Wade's cousin's backyard with a taped-up tennis ball? Like, it's just extraordinary. And, um, again, like, <clears throat> one of the things I've started to be a bit bigger on is um, our test players playing more state cricket. Now, state cricket is playing more club cricket because again I remember being you might not know them some if you big cricket fans you will but when I was 14 15 16 playing in my A grade team for the first year we used to have uh, Jamie Cox and Dean Hills who were the two opening batters for Tasmania and they played at university and I'll never forget the day that I got picked I used to get dropped out of the team when they came back and I'll never forget the first time I got picked and they were in it and I walked into the change room and my dad had dropped me off and there's Jamie Cox and there's Dean Hills and they had they were both sponsored by Grey Nichols and they had all their bats out and I, I was just like that is this was like Christmas day I didn't want the game to finish I didn't want the day to finish it was just and now in a really strange way I love being that guy I love going into my change rooms at university and young guys going, oh, it's Tim Payne. Oh, it's, I find it weird and funny because it's it's me and I never thought I'd be in that situation. But I also take great pride in it and try to play as much grade cricket as I can because, like you said, if you can you can see it, you can touch it, you can 
sort of identify with it and I think that's where your dreams start. So for me to be inspiring a young cricketer at university is uh, is something that's really important because that's that's what happened to me. If you could be naturally gifted, and I'm not talking about what sport could you play, yeah. I'm literally saying I have a magic wand and I can give yeah. you the ability to you know, represent your country or represent the highest level at any sport in the world. Yeah. What would you love, other sport would you love to be able to play um, at that level? There's probably two answers. I think financially it would be probably basketball. Yeah. The NBA, <laughs> but I think for any Australian kid and most cricketers want to be footballers, and I think most footballers in Australia want to be cricketers. That's sort of been what I've learned the last couple of years because we meet a few of the AFL players and they are all they love their cricket and we're exactly the same. Like we're so sore, oh, geez, we couldn't can't do running today, or we can't do whatever. You get the footy out, cricketers will run for days. We love it. So um, yeah, if you could pack a few kilos on me, make me a little bit quicker then I, I think I could float across the half-forward line of an AFL team. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll take my magic wand out again and I can give you any skill in the world outside sport now. Yeah. Uh, you need to, you can you can just have any skill. Uh, don't need to work for it. Magic wand, what skill would you love to possess? Ooh. I've ne- these have never been my strength, these ones, because I get stuck between about 20 things. Yeah. <laughs> um, Honestly, I would love, I would love to be like an unbelievably good singer. Because again, I feel like it, the way music and someone's song makes you feel and can change a mood or a um, or set a mood, I think is is amazing. And yeah, I've been to a few things or watched a few things on telly when like an an unbelievable voice comes on, and everyone just stops and is like, wow. Um, yeah, I think I'd like to be like a, just an unbelievably good singer. What what music do you like? What music do you actually um, listen to? Well, the at the moment, rather than skip through, there's only one artist. Yeah, in the world, actually, at the moment, that oh. I can I can put on the Spotify, and it can pretty much come from any one of their albums, and I would happily sit through it. And that's Ed Sheeran. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I all just, right. I just like his vibe, and he's mm. uh, it's, it's kind of cool, but it's kind of relaxed, and he's obviously extremely talented and I love the fact that he's one of the you know he writes his own stuff and, and writes a lot of it I find that amazing that he can keep producing songs like where, how does that that that's not a bad skill actually writing songs that's good um, yeah well, you've, just, you've, yeah you're Ed Sheeran you get to sing and write songs and play guitar like him you get the whole you yeah, get the whole thing that'll right? do it's fine that'll do yeah that, that's pretty much it I'd like to be him um, but yeah I, I don't know he's the only one otherwise I'm next Next song, next song. But when people speak about you behind your back, yeah. what do you hope they're saying? Um, well, right now, I'd like. I hope they think I haven't changed. Um, yeah, I think they they someone who's pretty relatable, pretty laid back, um, honest, um, and trustworthy. Um, I think that would be that would be pretty much it. Um, we actually had a, a kid, it's funny, debut for Tasmania not long ago and we had to say, our coach got us to just say a few things about him and he wrote them on the on the board and same thing. I was like, I remember walking out of there thinking, I actually said to him, Nathan Ellis, his name is, keep an eye on him, he'll, he'll probably go reasonably well. Um, but our coach actually said, tell you what, Ellie, if someone said that about my son, I'd be absolutely wrapped. Um that was a really cool moment, actually. It wasn't behind his back, but it was like we got to do it the day before and he got told, like, the morning of his first game, this is what your teammates think about you. 
and it was all those things hard working um discipline great bloke great team man like it was just a list of it was like he wrote it himself <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> um, it's actually a cool exercise to do sometimes in a, in a group um but yeah that that would probably be mine uh, okay, so big summer of cricket, obviously, in Australia. It's been a very interesting year in regard to people being able to go and watch games. Yeah. Um, you know, travel being incredibly limited, you know, life in a bubble, all these different things. What's COVID's effect on cricket and how has it changed the way that you guys have had to approach it? Uh, well, honestly, I think in the long run, it will actually be a good thing. Um, I think potentially it just got, it got too big. There was too much happening. Um, there's so many people involved in it. I think one of the great things we're going to have to do is, is learn to be able to do more with less. Um, people are going to have to help other people a bit more. Um, and, and you're going to have to do things together. So I think it, it's going to build better teams. It's going to build closer friendships, um, better understanding of each other, um, better understanding of team and the fact that, you know, if I help my teammates get better, then we're all getting better and that's... Um, one of, I think, the really exciting things, um, you know, of cricket and sport in general going forward. Um, and I think for us in the Australian cricket team, where we're talking about it now, is being able to adapt and be the first to adapt and embrace it and enjoy it. Don't fight it. Don't suck about it. Don't whinge. It, it is what it is. Um, let's make the best of the situation. And, um, yeah, we speak about that a lot. The team, the first cricket team we talk about, obviously, who adapts to the new surroundings and how it is and keeps moving forward, um, they'll be the best team. Final question, Tim. Thank you so much for this, by the way. I'm very, uh, very much enjoyed this whole chat. Um, I, I want to ask you this question because I ask it of everybody. Yeah. Um, you don't need to... There's no correct answer. Yeah. And you, you don't need to do anything like go back and kill baby Hitler or <laughs> major things that have happened in the world. But I have a time machine and I have a return trip. Yeah. You can go anywhere in the world. You can go in the future. You can go in the past. You can go to a moment in your own life and revisit it. Yeah. Uh, give yourself some advice. I don't care what you do with it. Yeah. But you have to use it. One round trip. Where do you go? Yeah, it's it. look, I'll say this. <laughs> Only because I have to use it, I'll go back to tomorrow and I'll do tomorrow. I'll start again because I, I honestly feel like in my, there's there's nothing that I would change in the end. Like everything that's been shitty that's happened to me has happened in the end for a reason or has be, actually become a strength um, or a growth area for me. So... Um, yeah, I, I actually, I've said this to someone the other day, I actually wouldn't change a thing. Um, so because you're making me take the trip, I'd go back to tomorrow and I'd, I'd do that again. Or But apart from that, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm like a kid it. who grew up in Australia wanting to play for his country. I've become the Australian Test Captain when three years ago I was about to quit. Um, I've got a beautiful family and kids and, and even my childhood was, you know, you couldn't complain. I grew up in a suburb called Lauderdale, lived on the beach, had plenty of mates, played backyard cricket and footy. Um yeah, I've had a bloody good life. And as I said, the tough moments have become real lessons for me or um, areas where I've got better and or areas that I've been able to use the experience from now for, for what confronts me day to day in my new job. So um, I see myself as very fortunate. Well, what a great way to end. Thank you so much for joining this today, mate. I wish the Australians and yourself personally all the best of luck for the upcoming summer of cricket. I'm very excited to see 
uh, you know, how we go against India. Yeah, it's going to be good. One of those, like, you know, super teams. But I also am like you, that I'm glad that Virat Kohli is going. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely. Let's not, let's not lie about it. <laughs> Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me.